We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It's going to be a very long reading, so um, just bear with me here. Um, As I mentioned at study, we're going to come back at the end of our series in Hebrews and talk through the different... uh, people of the cloud of witness, which is what this, this uh, listing is, really. We call it the hall of faith because uh, each person is uh, preceded by, by faith, by faith. And you'll hear that as we read through the passage uh, today. Um, just a reminder for us that the people that would have received this letter would have known the stories of these people by heart. And some of us know these stories as well, just growing up in church or, or whatnot. But um, but as, as the author is saying these, uh, these names of these people over and over, uh, these people will resonate deeply with him because these are their people. Uh, these are the people that they most directly descended from. And so uh, he's talking about their heritage and their history as he says each and every person. And, and that's why later we want to come back and, and spend some time walking through uh, those people and get a better idea of them. Uh, but now we're going to go through the whole long passage so that we catch really the simple argument that he's putting before us this morning in this passage. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read Hebrews 11, verse 1 to 12, verse 2. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation, and by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And as he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith, he he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in fact, was an act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on, as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the, do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, was made, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy." Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for its faithfulness to speak a good word to us this morning. God, for its truth that imparts to our soul that there is no circumstance that we can't face. Lord, that you have been there with us in every situation. And that you're good and true and merciful and faithful to us, God. 
Lord, I pray that as we look at this text and as we consider the lessons of uh, this hall of faith, Lord, I pray um, we would grow deeper in our understanding of who we are and whose we are. Thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us. May we fix our eyes on him this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All righty. So last week we saw we saw the author sort of shift into this very fundamental argument of the whole text of, of the book and tell us this simple statement to these people that are that are being uh, encouraged to by their circumstances leave their faith in Christ and turn back to something more comfortable in their area in their region and in their in the in the phase of their lives uh, and he said to them so boldly hold fast. Hold fast the confession that you have made to Christ. Hold fast to those that he has placed you around for your good. Hold fast because of two things that he pointed out to us. He pointed out that hold fast because there are eternal consequences to denying the Son of God who has come down and died on your behalf. There are eternal consequences to leaving him and rejecting what he has done. Hold fast because... Your inheritance is better than the inheritance this world offers. It's better and it's abiding. And so despite the circumstances that you may go through and the difficulties that you might face, hold fast because the inheritance that you have in Christ is better, is good. And he encouraged us at the end to say, we are not those who shrink back but rather those who have faith and preserve our souls. And so with that, as he's, as he's stated to them so boldly to hold fast uh, to this Jesus who is the creator of all things, the, the, um, the maker of all things, Jesus who is greater than the angels and greater than Moses and greater than Melchizedek, greater than all these things, hold fast to him for he is good. And in this, in this passage, he shifts to, like I said, speak about this cloud of witnesses in, in uh, the very, near the very end of this passage, verse 12, the beginning. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this hall of faith, these people that by faith have trusted in God in spite of seeing the full plan of God unfold, these people look down at us. They look down at us and, and they're cheering for us and they're, they're hoping that we'll hold fast as this author is encouraging us to do. They're, they're desiring that we would stand in the truths that they stood in throughout their lives. At the very beginning of this passage, he gives us a definition of what faith is. And then uh, by talking through these various individuals, he explains it by their actions even further, giving a little bit more meat on the bone to, uh, to what faith looks like. And, and as I read that whole passage, I'm sure you heard uh, the different things that all of these people have gone through uh, to the extremes of being sawn into, uh, to simply leaving a homeland. They've been through the, a myriad of issues in circumstances in life, and each of them by faith has endured. 
At the beginning of this passage, the definition is given, and we, we all have heard it and, and probably know it well. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Being sure of what we hope for, it's like a complete contradiction of a statement, honestly. How can you be sure of something that you're hoping for? <laughs> I'm hoping that uh, we'll open this place. Am I sure of that? Well, I am getting more sure. But at the beginning of this year, I wasn't very sure. Um, when you're hoping for something, you know that there are things that could pop up, issues that could happen, that could stop the momentum of what's going on. And so your hope is, is in the future. It hasn't come to pass yet, and you don't know what tomorrow brings. And so you're hoping, right? How can you be sure of it? It's faith. Faith is what gives you the assurance of that which you hope for. It's, it's being certain of that which we do not see. As much as we plan and, and, uh, and put things together in our lives and, and, and forecast what the next years will be like, we have no idea. We have no clue. We have absolutely no clue what's going to happen. Um, and so we do... Uh, we do, in, a, in an ultimate sense, and in an eternal sense, know that the end is good and that the king conquers and wins the day. And that's the hope that we are sure of, and that's the hope that we stand in and are certain of, is that God has come and God has completed a work through Christ, and we hope forward in that. Our faith in Christ is sure. Our faith in Christ is certain. And even though we do not see it, and even though we have not even seen him, us, uh, our hope is sure and our hope is certain. What we learn, uh, we learn what faith is in uh, even further in the steps of the people, uh, in the steps these people took to trust God with their lives. You know, we, we call this passage the hall of faith and we sort of exalt these individuals as very faithful individuals. But one thing we need to remember is that um, each of them has lots of flaws. So as we hold up this beautiful statement of the faith that they had, they had that faith in the midst of being very imperfect. Some of them very, very imperfect. Yet we should be encouraged that their faith was strong in the midst of the circumstances they face. Um, I'm going to go through three things that, uh, that we learn from this list of this cloud of witnesses uh, that, that I've um, taken from it at least. And, and there are three things that are greater than three other things. So the first thing that's greater than the other is this. Our existence is greater than our perception. One of the things we learn in this passage about these uh, individuals is that our existence is greater than our perception. He starts out with that at the very first sort of uh, by faith statement, verse three. He says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So all that we see came out of nothing. No building block. The further and further you go back in science and try and find that one 
moment of material that somehow combusted or whatever made this all kick off, it came from nothing. The Bible has told us that. You will not find the origin uh, by scientific research. You might find what it looked like, and you might observe even how it could have unfolded, but it came from nothing. It came from God's presence, speaking it, exactly, speaking it into existence. Out of nothing, he created the world. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Not out of what is seen, but out of things that are invisible. So even from the outset, our existence is tied to the one who created us, right? So everything that we can see is, we perceive it, but our existence is bigger than it because our creator is above it. Make sense? Our existence is beyond our perception. Someone greater than that which we can perceive created us, and that's who we're tied to. That's who we find our origin in, is the one who created us, God. Our existence is beyond our perception. This statement um, stands against our, uh, our desire to increase the comfort level of our perception. <laughs> we like perception, and we like to feel good. Um, and, uh, you know, I like when my Cowboys win a football game, and I'm, my perception is very high because they've been winning very well this year. And so I'm very happy about that. And uh, the same is true of, you know, having great accomplishments in life. Those accomplishments that we have in life give us a good perception of a reality, and it's a good thing. But if that's all that I find my existence in, it isn't enough. Because the truth is you're going to have failures and you're going to have days and seasons when it's difficult and hard. And if I'm finding my hope in what I can perceive and what is material, it will fail me because it's not eternal. This this message stands against our, our bent toward materialism even. If I'm finding hope and satisfaction in material things, they will fail me. They will turn to dust. From dust they came and dust they will return. And I don't think there's one of us in here that doesn't struggle with that reality. We enjoy the perception of good things coming our way. But when we elevate our perception over our existence, we miss the boat. We miss the fundamental reality of who we are. Our existence is beyond and greater than our perception. Second thing we learn out of this text is um, our promises are greater than our circumstances. Our promises are greater than our circumstances. Um, you hear in, in the, uh, the various testimony of these individuals throughout here, one of the key things you hear is that they were longing for a place. Uh, whether it was a city prepared by God, whether it was a heavenly country uh, that God had prepared, they were longing for something greater than they could see. They were longing for a place in the presence of God, a place which God had prepared for them. 
the promises that were given to Abraham and to Noah and on to uh, Jacob and, uh, and Isaac and, and all these individuals, the promises that were given to them was that God would be their God, that he would bless the nations through them and that, uh, that, that he would be, there, be, uh, be preparing a place for them, a city for them. We see that our promises are greater than our circumstances uh, in, in the life of uh, Moses, right? Can you, I mean, look at that, that just briefly about Moses. He's born into a family where he's hidden for three months by his parents because there was an edict to kill all the uh, babies of the Hebrew women and men. And by faith, he, uh, he, he was grown up and refused to be called one of Pharaoh's daughter, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God and enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered reproach of Christ greater wealth than treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He leaves Egypt, uh, not afraid of the anger of the king. He endures only seeing him who is, who is invisible. I mean, think of the things that, that Moses went through. From, from really standing up uh, for what he believed was right in his heritage, being then rejected by his people and rejected by Egypt and coming back to lead his people out of Egypt and then be rejected by them over and over and over again. He had been given the promise of God's presence, and that promise was greater than every circumstance that he ever felt. When God was ready to nix the whole nation, he intercedes for the nation and says, Lord, please give him another chance. Can you imagine? I mean, if any of us would have been up there and been like, yeah, smoke them, let's go, let's get out of here. But he knew there was a promise that was given to him, and that was the promise of the Lord's presence with him. And he, he, I'm sure in his life, he went back time after time after time again when he was in the wilderness walking around and a burning bush appears to him. And the Lord says, take off your shoes. This is holy ground and speaks to him out of a bush. He held deeply onto the presence of God and its importance in his life. And that was a promise that he held for himself and for his nation. Our promises are greater than our circumstances. I mean, listen to the life of Joseph. Talk about a rough circumstance, right? Sold into slavery by your brothers. Locked up for doing things you never did, and yet you still hope that there's a way that this is going to turn out your way. And God comes through. God comes through for Joseph for the glory of his name. See, the promises that God has given us are greater than the circumstances that we face. And so often we can be uh, bent toward coming up against a difficult circumstance and immediately going to despair and saying, the, the, the sky is falling and everything's going to end and there's no way we're going to get past this obstacle. And the message of this hall of faith is that Yeah, you're imperfect just like they were imperfect, but God is faithful to you and he will keep his promises to you. 
Our existence is greater than our perception. Our promises are greater than our circumstances. And our identity is greater than our flesh. Like I mentioned, this, uh, this is called the Hall of Faith, but we know from Scripture that all of these individuals had great deficiencies in their life, places where they mistrusted God, places where they tried to do things on their own instead of following the will of God, uh, places where they took matters into their own hands. And we have that too. We have pasts, each of us. We have uh, sin in our past and, and things that come up and, and this, this guilt of the way we've run our lives can sometimes come against us and, and hold us. But the beautiful thing uh, about this is that um, God stands against our guilt and he gives us a name that is better uh, than our past, that is better than our sin. See, we know, again, from Scripture that, that all these individuals had deficiencies in their lives, significant deficiencies in the way they operated their lives and the way they treated other people. But they had faith in God that God would forgive them, uh, that God loved them, uh, that, that God was the source of their salvation. And God gives them a new identity. He gives them an identity that is bigger than our flesh, that is bigger than the guilt that grips our flesh. Throughout this passage, these are some things that are said or felt about this group of people. What is their identity by faith? Well, they're righteous. They're pleasing to God. They're inheritors. They're raised to life. They're courageous. They're victorious. They're unafraid. These are the things that are said of the people in the hall of faith. Did they have deficiencies? Yes. Was that their identity? Did they find their identity in their brokenness? No, because their identity was in their God who had forgiven them and restored them to a place of honor. And the same has been done for us. <clears throat> Our existence is greater than our perception. Our promises are greater than our circumstances. Our identity is greater than our flesh. You know, when I first read through this, I was thinking, what's the takeaway from how this author is portraying this, this chapter? You know, here he is. He's told them, hold fast to the confession, hold fast to one another. And now he gives this big list of people that were successfully faithful, Right? Everybody, you know, they, they had faith. Here's this whole group of people that had faith, and they didn't even know Christ yet. And so the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, is he just saying, suck it up? You know? Is that the rebuke from this passage? Just suck it up, guys. See, all these people face worse things. You can just, you know, you can face it too. The hall of faith is not a rebuke for us to suck it up. But rather, it's a reminder that we are called to endure just as these held fast uh, to that which they could not see, we too must focus on what is unseen. It's not about just pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's not just about uh, doing it on our own effort. These are challenging. Uh, these are definitely challenging stories that, that push us harder and, and definitely encourage us strongly. But how did they face their circumstances? Was it by just doing it, working harder, 
pulling themselves up? No, it wasn't. It never was. That's why time after time after time after time again, he starts every person by saying, by faith. By faith, they crossed the river. By faith, Joseph stayed in jail all those years knowing that God would, uh, would bring him through. By faith, they walked around a city seven times and waited for its walls to fall down without firing a bow. <laughs> by faith. Did they do it by their effort? No, they did it by faith. This passage isn't a rebuke for us to uh, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's, it's an encouragement for us to have faith in the one that is faithful to us. It's, it's a statement to say, look at this group of people. They were misfits. They were broken. They were messed up. They had deficiencies. They, they broke my law time after time again. But they came to realize that their only hope was in me. And by faith, they moved forward. And so it's with that message that he moves forward to these last two verses and says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Lay aside every weight. What are the weights that were upon these people? What are the weights that are upon us? One is that we value perception over our existence. Our, our flesh cries out for comfort when our true reality is beyond our flesh. We have to lay aside the weight that this world puts on us to, uh, to simply seek out our comfort. We have to lay aside the weight of our circumstances being greater than our promises. We have to lay aside the weight of a guilty past saying, see, God can never forgive me because of all those things that I have done in my past. I'm so guilty. I'm such a sinner. No, you are righteous. You are pleasing to God. You are an heir. You are raised to life. You are courageous. You are victorious. You are unafraid. That's who you are in Jesus. Lay aside every weight, the weights of materialism and despair and guilt, of the belief that our perception is greater than existence, that our circumstances are greater than our promises, and that our flesh is greater than our identity. It's exactly the opposite. Lay aside those weights. Lay aside the sin that clings so closely. Each of us know so deeply how close sin is to our door. Uh, we fight the battles with thoughts all day long. The sin clings so closely, and the word encourages us this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What does it look like to, um, to lay aside the sin that clings so closely? To cling to God, to cling to God, to cling to the faithful Father who has called you righteous, who has called you courageous and pleasing, who has called you victorious. 
lay aside the sin that clings so closely and draw near to God. And run. Run with endurance. I don't know about you, but I like to run fast. If I'm running, I want to do it as quickly as possible. I want to run an eight-minute mile and call that exercise and then be done. (laughs) It's not a really good exercise, probably. Uh, He calls us to run with endurance. It's a a statement to us that that our faith is a long-term battle. It's not a one-time moment that we've turned over our life to Jesus and then everything else just falls into place. It's a continual placing of faith. If you look again at the stories of chapter 11, is any one of them just a mountaintop experience and then everything's good? No. Every one of them is a mountaintop experience and then a long walk down through a valley and then seeing the faithfulness of God raise them back up to a mountain. It's a, it's a run of endurance. Endurance means long-term thinking. And we know from just life that if you have a long-term goal, uh, does it happen overnight? <laughs> if you set a big goal for your life, it doesn't happen overnight. It never does. Like, when I set out to go to college after high school, right? It was a long-term goal. That's a four-year commitment. And how did I do that? How did I accomplish four years of college? One day at a time. I went to class. That's it. I did the things that were necessary to accomplish the goal. And, and those things didn't come in just deciding to go to college. They came in deciding to go and then going on a daily basis over and over and over again. And that's true with any long-term goal that you set for your life. You're going to set something major to accomplish. It's going to take one step at a time. Rome didn't fall in one day, right? One step at a time is what it's going to take. They our long-term goals don't, they aren't accomplished by accident, rather by daily steps toward your intended destination. So what does it look like to run with endurance, uh, the, the uh, run of faith? First, it's looking at your identity and knowing who you are. Second, it's standing on the promises that God has given you, and that depends on knowing the promises that are given to you. You know, God has faithfully provided uh, this beautiful summary of a group of people that is faithful um, and who has stood on God's promises. If we're going to stand on God's promises, we got to know his promises, (laughs) you know? Um, You know, I was promised that our refrigerator would work and, you know, it's working and that's great, but I had to read the manual and know that we got everything set up correctly so that it will properly work, right? And that's the same that's true with anything. If you're going to know the promise, you're going to know what it is and and what's entailed in it, what what components are there. And so the same is true on our, our endurance with faith. We have to daily understand and grow in our knowledge of what the promises are. Finally, This passage wraps up 
by saying this. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The beautiful thing about this is that the person who began our faith is the one that's going to complete our faith and has completed our faith. He endured the cross for us, despising the shame that it was to be hung on a Roman cross for things you didn't do, that others might come to know your Father. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. We read even from Hebrews that he is the creator of creation. And so Jesus is the creator of creation who became created to save his creation from the messes that he created, they created. He is our founder and our perfecter, and he has sat down at the right hand of God. If we are going to walk by faith and be encouraged by these individuals who didn't even see the, the accomplishment of, of Jesus' will or God's will for us in Jesus, we're going to do it by looking, looking to the unseen, looking to the one that has accomplished our faith, who has founded our faith, finding our existence greater than our perception, our promises greater than our circumstances, and our identity better than our flesh, and running with endurance with our eyes fixed on Jesus who has so perfectly run the race before us. If you want to know what, it's look, what it looks like to find the presence of the Father and to, and to walk in the presence of God, we only have one person to look at, and that's Jesus. And what he's accomplished for us in his life and his death on the cross, he has sat down at the right hand of God and has accomplished all for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for um, sending him to earth that we might have faith in, in what he's done for us and thus be restored to you, our Father. Thank you that you so deeply care for what you have created that you would give yourself to redeem it. God, we pray that um, this week we would stand in the identity that you have purchased for us on the cross. That we wouldn't be weighed down by the cares of this world. That we wouldn't be torn apart by uh, the sin that is crouching at our doors. That we would rather stand in the identity that you have given us in Jesus, fixing our eyes on him, fixing our gaze on the creator that so loved his creation that he came as one of us to save us from the mess we've made.
God, I pray that uh, this week that we would be so grateful for what you've accomplished in Jesus. And that whatever circumstances we're facing this week, whatever situations are coming our way, whatever uh, difficulties lie ahead of us, that by faith we would be sure of that which we cannot see. That we would be certain of the things that we hope for. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.